they looked really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. The first big move of the offseason involves a familiar face, Joe Flacco, heading from Baltimore to Denver, a fourth-round pick going back to the Ravens from the Broncos. It most likely spells the end of the Case Keenum era, a short-lived era. He signed a two-year deal with the Broncos after his one big season with the Minnesota Vikings. For Joe Flacco, didn't necessarily have a space left in Baltimore, and we sort of knew all the way along, that Lamar Jackson was going to be their guy. John Harbaugh basically said as much at the end of the season, saying he has good football left in him and they're going to try to find him a place where he could continue to play. What do we make of this trade? Fourth round pick for three years of Joe Flacco. I'm so excited (laughs) for this. We'll just start with the Ravens first. This makes them a worse football team, but it provides them with closure. Mm-hmm. With Joe Flacco on the team as your backup, you're obviously going to be better than almost any other team because he's your backup. That's a great backup to have. Um, but you get closure. You're no longer struggling. It is a confidence boost for Lamar Jackson knowing his job is never going to be in jeopardy. Unless he plays back. RG3. He's, unless RG3 <laughs> comes back to life. But he's he's there. He's a Ravens quarterback. But on the Denver side, this is the greatest thing I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Because you hand Joe Flacco a three-deep running game with pass catchers in the backfield. You hand him an elite defense, and you give him the thinnest air in the NFL. And there's a game in Denver where Patrick Mahomes and Joe Flacco are going to be throwing 80-yard passes back and forth. And it's going to be the greatest thing ever. But on the real note here, that's a great move for Denver. Because you give Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco's not top five, not top 10, probably not not 15. You can argue high top 15. I'll I'll put him in the top 20. But if you give Joe Flacco a good running game, which they have, an elite defense, which they have, a decent offensive line, which they have, and a defensive-minded head coach, which they have, you can win games with Joe Flacco. You can't win a Super Bowl which I don't think that's what they're trying to do at this point. They're looking to stop the bleeding and actually win a few games. But you can win games with Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, compared to Case Keenum, is much better. Joe Flacco does not shy away from competitive options. I know when the Denver Broncos were looking at Kirk Cousins, and they almost signed Kirk Cousins, but then they had that whole switcheroo. Joe Flacco has beaten Tom Brady twice in the playoffs. He plays hard. He's a Super Bowl champion. You got better with this Joe Flacco deal. You're not getting the elite Joe Flacco of old. You are getting an old Joe Flacco who has years left in him, who has experience, and who's a great guy for when and if you draft another young quarterback, you have someone to look up to. So I did some research. Um, 
just it was on Twitter actually, but I found it really interesting. Over the past, so two someone e- else did research. Nick just found it. Yeah, that is true. That is true. It's not my research, I should say. Um, I found the stats of Keenum and Flacco over the past two years. Keenum sixty four point seven percent completion percentage. Flacco sixty three. Keenum six point nine seven yards per attempt. Flacco six point oh four. So this is the same player. T- TD to INT one point eight two for Keenum. One point five eight for Flacco. QBR. 88.9 for Keenum, 81.9 for Flacco. So you just got so the same person. You could say that Keenum is slightly better than Flacco over those past two years, but you just said it. Same person. Uh, you traded the, for the same person, and you still have Keenum on the books. Obviously, uh, get rid of Keenum, yeah, I'd assume obviously. that they were going to get rid of Keenum, but they paid him a lot of money to come in there. and They paid Brock Osweiler well, yeah, they paid a lot. A lot. Not, that doesn't not, mean that they didn't not, pay Case Keenum yeah, a lot of money, Houston too. Not Houston a lot of money, yeah. but they, they, they gave him a, a good contract. But as John Elway is trying to preserve his name as the best Broncos quarterback. Yeah. It, they've, they haven't had a guy that they're confident in since Peyton Manning, and it's going to be Joe Flacco. They don't love him. I wouldn't love him either, but I'm very happy and very excited to have Joe Flacco. Yeah, I don't love that they got rid of Keenum after one year. I, I mean, they only gave him a two-year deal, so um, I don't like to see that. But when you bring in Flacco, you bring in that, I, I guess you could call it championship pedigree, I guess, because he has— He's a Super Bowl he has champion. One, he's a Super Bowl champ, so— in that he sense, he has a winning playoff record. He has a winning away playoff record. He's yeah. he's a champion. And in the wooden now type mode that I guess the Broncos might be in now, uh, I guess it's a good move. But there's a lot of it'd be a lot of tough teams in the AFC. So it's gonna take a lot of just not Flacco. It's gonna take the whole team playing well together. AFC. So I, I I guess I'd call it an upgrade for the Broncos. I guess. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVD, breaking down the Joe Flacco trade. He goes to Denver in exchange. Baltimore gets a fourth-round pick back. To me, what does Joe Flacco have left? What makes him any better than what they already had in Case Keenum? That's my big question in this. What makes him worth a fourth-round pick when he has three years and over $18 million due to him each year left on his contract? I like the numbers Nick spelled out there. If they wanted to go with a veteran stopgap type of quarterback, which both Keenum and Flacco are, even if you believe Flacco's a little bit better than Keenum, is the cost of this trade and the cost of Flacco's contract make that difference up between what Flacco is and what Keenum is? Because I think everybody would agree neither are long-term answers at the position. They're taking the if here. Mm. They're taking the if we get to the playoffs with, with our young running backs— Hopefully Emmanuel Sanders is healthy and him and Cortland Sutton can play that wide receiver spots. The offensive line can stay healthy and the defense can stay elite. If we get to the playoffs, Case Keenum did great in Minnesota, but would we rather have Case Keenum or Joe Flacco? And I would assume across the board it was Joe Flacco. Just yeah. Based yeah. On- I'd rather have Joe Flacco. I might rather have Case Keenum and whatever my fourth round pick. That is also true. And two it's, I mean, years of not It's a not defensive draft, Joe though. I don't, I don't think they're going to find any offensive stud. And that defense already doesn't need game changer. So I expect them to just pick a fourth rounder they can probably develop. I don't expect him to be ready. But the one thing Case Keenum had that Joe Flacco didn't was, if this is even a word, moldability. You know what you're getting out of Joe Flacco. Case Keenum, you can at least fit into your offense. The Broncos are going to have to do a little work fitting the offense around Joe Flacco. But... It's doable. We're in a day and age where sabermetrics and numbers take over. They'll find a way to get Joe Flacco in. I think the, I guess the good thing for the Broncos now is Keenum is expendable. And I was just reading some articles today. They said that um, the Redskins might be um, 
a top destination for him. Alex Smith. Yeah, the, yeah, that, so yeah, that was really that's unfortunate. But um, keep him to the Redskins. So maybe you do get something in return. I don't know what you'd get from him. Probably a sixth or seventh round pick. I can't imagine. Maybe even, I don't think oh, you could afford that, that. That's big disrespect on Case Keenum. You'll probably you you give a, anything more than that. Yeah, you think you get? The other option is yeah. they cut him. I'd give and him. I sign him I'd for give whatever him a fifth else. for Case right. Keenum. Right. I don't know if I'll go six. I mean, Case seven, Keenum eight. was bad this past season. Like he's had, he's had, be, he's he's had, had one had good year. Right, three, be three quarters, which of is a why good I'm year. saying that I'm much happier having Joe Flacco. Well, yes. At the same time, well, I guess I'll probably give him more just because of the abundance of quarterbacks. This is the first time that the cor- number yeah. of available quarterbacks is outpacing the number of teams that need them. Yeah. So I guess if you were going to give Case Keenum away for a, a fifth pick. You better think Case Keenum is the best quarterback left on the market well, well, at the time. Yeah, and when you're the Redskins and your backup quarterbacks are Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and I think Josh Johnson. No disrespect then, to Mark Sanchez. No please. disrespect, but I think that, yeah, it just depends. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes, but I can't imagine being on the Broncos uh, come the start of the season. What will be the lasting legacy of Joe Flacco, who compared to, I would say, most other quarterbacks has been – one of, if not the most scrutinized over the past decade or so. You have a camp that believes in him as a Super Bowl-winning quarterback and his arm strength, arm talent as one of the best, quote-unquote, maybe even elite quarterbacks of this past era. And you have some who point to one small sample size of elite play in that Super Bowl run and years of mediocre at best play. If you look at his last three seasons, this from Shokapadia of The Athletic, 37 quarterbacks have attempted at least 500 passes, and in that group, Flacco ranks 35th in yards per attempt, 33rd in net yards per pass play, and 30th in touchdown-to-interception ratio. Some will also argue, however, what has been around Joe Flacco in those past couple of seasons. I feel as though... Both camps have plenty of valid arguments. What say you guys? What do you think the lasting legacy of Delaware great, but is he NFL great, Joe Flacco will be? Joe Flacco is a Super Bowl champion who took his uh, slippery slope down and handled it a lot slower than most quarterbacks do. He won a Super Bowl, he had a good season after that, and he got his contract and then he just slowly came down. I am more on the what's around him camp since Steve Smith. I mean, their top receiving option since then is John Brown. No. Jacoby Jones. Tory Smith when for is a the, couple when of seasons. Smith, Torrey yeah. Smith for a couple of seasons. He was a good deep threat. Yeah. It has never been great. Their running back situation has been mulled by legal issues. Yeah. And it's it, the team has never been the same. It's it's a Joe Flacco who will be known as a Super Bowl champion, especially around the Delaware parts. He'll be known as a the, the legend to leave the stadium. Yes. He handled his decline well. He was never a loud personality, and he should just go quietly after this season. Maybe the next season, and we'll end it there. Yeah, I think he's just an average Super Bowl champion. I think it, that's you label him at the end average. Um, I'd lean more towards the what's around him camp as well. I think. He had a really good Super Bowl run, but you can't forget about how good that defense that def- was. You, I mean, Ray Lewis, Ray, Ed Reed, that might have easily one of the best defenses of all time, I think. So, um, 
I mean, he got the job done. He had to go in there. He had to win some games being he has, a quarterback. He had a heavy winning record. Yeah, he got it done. I mean, like 96 and 60 or something. As you said, he, he should succeed in Denver. You said everything that he needs is around him. It all is all checked on the list. So. 80 yard bombs. Um, Joe Flacco throwing it all the way downfield. And yeah, the arrow help him. But nonetheless, I think he'll be a legend on campus around here. And then eh, outside campus, he'll be an average Super Bowl champion. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. As we turn our attention to baseball, and an offseason that continues to string its way through. Now with pitchers and catchers reporting, we still don't have any news on the destinations for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. But it's not just those two. Those guys will grab all the headlines, and justifiably so, with all the chatter about how young both of them were coming into free agency and the types of contracts they could command. They're not the only guys, though. Dallas Keuchel of the Astros, still a free agent. Craig Kimbrell of the World Series champion Boston Red Sox, still a free agent. A lot of other names, Mike Moustak is another one, that are appealing to many teams you'd think in baseball but probably have to wait and see what happens with Harper and Machado first. So this hang-up continues to move on. We've talked about it on the show before. Justin Verlander, probably the most recent big name to put his thoughts out there on this. With Does what he say, or, or I guess, Nick, we haven't asked you, you maybe start off with us. What do you make of this whole situation, and where do you see it potentially headed? I just Honestly, I think the whole situation is odd to me. I mean, when you see these big names and Harper Merchild, you'd think that they would have been signed as soon as free agency started. And um, I think once one of them signs, the other one will follow. And then, as you said, the other names, Keuchel and Kimberly Mustakas, I think those dominoes will fall. But I just think the whole situation is kind of odd to me. And I think the point has been, I think they've, seen that they're not going to get paid a lot most likely and they're not going to get the 10, 10 year plus deal that they really want so um i honestly don't know where either of them are going to hang uh land machado i'm hearing with white Sox, could just because they'll pay him and he'll be the face of that franchise and harper i honestly couldn't tell you i really thought he was going to go to the phillies he's still very very well but i feel like if he were going to the phillies he would have said it by now so i'm just kind of confused Justin Verlander's tweet was saying that the system is messed up with a few expletives mixed into it. And I fully agree that the system is messed up, but not for the same reasons. And Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, in my mind, are probably not top 10 players. Bryce Harper is the higher one on that list. I probably wouldn't. I mean, if you put take the best player off every baseball team and rank them, Bryce Harper's in the top 15-ish yeah. Manny yeah. Machado's 20 to 25-ish. And if you consider them in terms of value due to their age, right. yeah. it makes that argument a little bit easier. Because then, uh, I mean, like, Ozzie Albies is, might not even be the best player on his team, but right. I might pick him over yeah. Machado just for youth. And these are players who want stardom money. They're not Mike Trout. They're not Mookie Betts. These are not teams that are going to pay them. I'm surprised that he got $300 million and he turned it down because he wants more. But they are not worth that much money. No team is going to give another $300 million contract. And if he didn't want another $300 million contract, then why hasn't he signed yet? They both want the money, and they're not going to get it. This doesn't mean that these players are not great players, but they're, again, not Mike Trout and not Mookie Betts. So you need to look at yourself as a, as a player, as Bryce Harper, as Manny Machado, and say, am I the best player that I am compared to everyone else? No, maybe I should say, all right, $225 million in the case of Bryce Harper is okay. 140 in the case of Manny Machado is okay. Instead of 300 and 225, find a number that fits you 
because they are going to have to suffer, quote unquote, suffer and take a lot less money if they want a job in the future. I have a couple of things on that. The first with the $300 million contract, which if you don't know, that's what everyone reported that Nationals offered Harper toward the end of the season, 10 years, $300 million. I am a little hesitant to believe they actually made him that offer. I wouldn't have made him that offer. Um, That offer, Dow, is definitely not on the table. The reason why I'm hesitant is that is an easy thing for Scott Boris's side to leak and for him to want out there that other teams, wanting to get other teams to think he has this offer. Therefore, if we want Bryce Harper, we have to beat this offer. Even if that offer was made then, like you said and like I said, that offer's not on the table now. The Nationals paid Patrick Corbin $140 million over six years. So what this has come to be, and part of it is this system of free agency and coinciding with every team's heavy emphasis on an analytics-driven approach, is we're left with this blinking game where they may think, they being Harper and Machado's representatives, that they are worth 250 300 350 million dollars and the teams all have systems to put out what they believe the player is worth overall what they're willing to pay and they will not deviate from it and there's a long history of 8 9 10 year contracts in this range that have not worked out for teams Robinson Cano in Seattle Albert Pujols with the Angels those players had a couple of good seasons but by the time that you're paying those players, like their elite players, into their 35, 36, 37-year-old seasons, it doesn't work out for you. So that when the system comes into question, that is saying, okay, if they're not going to pay free agents when they're 25, 26 because they're worried about the 34, 35, 36-year seasons, and they're not paying 31-year-old Dallas Keuchel or early 30-year-old Craig Kimbrell because they believe their best playing days are behind them. Do we need these players then to reach free agency earlier in their careers in order to get what they deserve? Because somebody like Bryce Harper or somebody like Manny Machado has been playing well below what they're worth for quite some time. Now they're not getting what they think they're worth. Are they worth that? That's a question. Sure, maybe they're not worth quite that much. But they want to get paid for part what they've done. And teams don't want to pay. They realize now... They shouldn't pay players for what they've done. They have to pay them for what they are going to do. So that's where the system of baseball and how players are awarded comes into question in all of this kind of waiting game between the two sides. I think that another variable that comes into this, in my opinion, is that, let's be honest, they're great players, but they're kind of drama queens you know, in the clubhouse. And I think that might be a factor of... Am I going to pay this guy $300 million or whatever, but is he going to be a pro- Yes, he's going to be amazing for the team, but what promise is he going to bring? I mean, we didn't really see it with Machado until last year with the Orioles and then whatever was going on with him. And then I feel like just Harper's always been known as that guy with that big ego. And, you know, I just feel like that's a variable that people have to take into account. And that might be a reason why they're not getting as much as they'd expect. Baseball's a sport where that doesn't mean as much because yeah. it's easy to lose off-field stuff in 162 games. Yeah. In the NFL... Okay, they played on Sunday. Now we have six days 
yeah. to just marinate and off And Bryce Harper stuff. doesn't have to decide who to pass the ball to. Exactly, type yeah. Of thing. Right. It's just solely on his actions. But I agree more on off-field stuff for Manny Machado. Yeah. Manny Machado has been known to be a bad teammate yeah. and a bad influence around the dugout. Bryce Harper, he has a big ego. Yeah. He mashes home runs for fun. Him and his dad or his uncle threw in the home run derby. His dad. His yeah. dad just rocked homers. He has a big ego. Uh, you take that, you take that for Bryce Harper, but for Manny Machado, I agree. Another thing that I wanted to add on to this is that these two players, and throughout all the whole time that we've been talking about this, these two players are still great. Yeah, I'm not saying no, they're not no, yeah. good players, and teams would love to give them three hundred million dollars, but it's that if if they decline, because if they don't, a three hundred million dollar contract for ten years for Bryce Harper. Is great. That's yeah. what he deserves. Pay him that. And Brandon said they're playing under their level, which I agree with. But that if they don't, and you put that much money on your books and don't have a nice structured contract for these guys, you're screwed. And enough teams have done that now. Right. Teams have front loaded contracts. Mm-hmm. Robinson Cano was a good one. Uh, the one. But enough teams have been burned too. That it makes you gun The old Prince Fielder contract. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Leo's. kind of terrible circumstances, but even before his career-ending injury, right. he was not playing to that. Yeah. They paid him so Miguel much. Miguel Cabrera Another of the Tigers. The dude won an MVP and then jumped off the cliff. I, I feel like know. the only successful one you've seen so far is Stanton. And I mean, that, and that still book is out. Yeah. And they dumped him more for rebuilding, but I feel like he's going to be worth it's it It's also eventually. a different situation because yeah. Stanton's defense is okay, his arms are okay, but... That's a bad exactly. That you, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. That is a revolutionary thing. That is a once in a lifetime. I'm saying he's event. the one that's worked out. Yeah, yeah. You, when you get those once in a lifetime events on your porch, you pay exactly. The collective bargaining agreement in baseball is not up until two years from now. So these conversations about the system might not necessarily come into play immediately. But I think over that time we will continue to test this system. In that next off season, Nolan Arenado. And Anthony Rendon, who many would probably argue at this point are more valuable players than Machado and Harper. They hit free agency in 2020. If that class doesn't do it for you in 2021, it's Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, who, in my opinion right now, probably the two Two best best players players in baseball. Right. Uh, You could pick which way you want to go with them. They both have track records as being historically great. So if, if the... Kind of off season didn't shake out the way you thought it would. This off season, stay tuned because it's going to get continue to get tested these next couple of seasons. I will say though, if the off season goes like this for Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, there's a system problem. Yeah, we got to right. go a full overhaul because right. the second that I I personally and I've said it a few times, the second Mike Trout hits free agency, I expect the Angels to say, "We'll give you fifty percent commission on every ticket sold. <laughs> we'll name the stadium after you. We'll put a statue up." And I'll pay your next six generations college bills. <laughs> Please stay with us. We don't know what we'll do without you. And I expect him to take it. And honestly, the same for Mookie Betts. Yeah, and at, this, yeah. at some point, it's I, I understand the hesitancy with these longer deals. At some point, if you can get Trout when he's 29, okay, I'm going to get three or four of the greatest seasons of all time. Yeah. And then I'll live with His the wins four. placement are disgusting. Yeah, I'll live with the four or five seasons that he declines. Yeah. And I have to build a team actually around him. But if I'm the Phillies, if I'm the... Dodgers, whoever else might be in the running, I'm throwing you know a yeah. blank check toward Mike Trout or Mookie Betts. Betts is actually um, about that same age too, despite not having played quite as many seasons as Trout. 
You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. The Bucks add Nick Lemiritich. The Raptors add Marcus Saul. The Sixers add a whole half of a team, basically. And what we are left with are the Pacers in third place in the Eastern Conference, moving up over the last couple of days. The Sixers and the Celtics tied for fourth after a close loss uh, from Philadelphia losing to Boston the other night. Great game, though, so plenty to pull in from that. As we look at how these teams stack up, it's still the Bucks at the top of the East, but just a game ahead of the Raptors. They're both tied in the wins column at 43. Nick, I'll start with you. What did you make of the deadline action in the Eastern Conference? And as you consider those teams at the top, can you give us yeah. your preliminary sort of ranking of how you think they'll end up shaking out? I think that the Sixers have the best team on paper. I think the Tobias Harris move was a great move for them. They gave up some bench depth, but then they got guys like Ennis and um, Simmons in the Fultz trade. I think Harris is a great piece for them. But honestly, I I love the Bucks this year, and I don't know if, I don't know why, but I just think that they're the best team in the East and they're first in the standings. And for some reason, I just feel like this might be the team that goes all the way to the finals. I think that they surrounded Giannis with everything that he needs. Uh, Brooke Lopez is shooting threes like you think he's Steph Curry. I think Miritich was an even better addition. And then you have guys like Eric Bledsoe. I mean, his career has been revitalized now I mean, because uh, he's been playing really well. You have a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, who's set to hit the free agency market. He's playing out of his mind. I really like the Bucks. I think that if I had to rank them, they'd be one. I think I'd put... Well, first let me see. I don't really buy into everything with the Celtics. I, I, they're a good team, but I don't think I that they're put, anything special. I put the Celtics at one. You think it's this aura around them, like it is with great teams. Yeah. That when the going, like the going is tough right now. Yeah, I feel like. But when the going gets real tough, Milwaukee won't be able to handle it. Toronto can't handle going getting tough well, yeah. in their own organization. And then you look at probably the is next it different three best with teams. Toronto though with. The post Lowry DeRozan era, you know they have a, a guy who's won a playoff series in Marcus Saul now. Kawhi yeah. Leonard's won championships. Does that change the culture? Marcus Saul and they had a Jeremy Lin. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they bought which him out. is another nice addition. Yeah. This is a guy who's played in the playoffs. He's handled the spotlights. So I get it might be different for the Raptors, but the Bucks, I don't see it. The Pacers without Oladipo, oh, well, yeah, there's there's absolutely no reason why they're third in the, yeah, they should be third in the Eastern Conference right now. I'd put them, if anything, at like seventh. Yeah, and I, ouch, the two they are, don't have Victor Oladipo, who's yeah. one no, of the most playing polar. Tough, though, they've won like seven, they won like six tough. in a row until yeah. they lost last night. So. Yeah, they were, they're six four, six and four in their last ten. The two teams that I think can win the East are the Sixers and the Celtics, as it was last year. I don't. The Bucks are great, yeah. but at some point, well, I hope at some point Giannis's body catches up to him and realizes that no human should be able to do this and he'll slow down. Toronto, I don't trust them. I don't have faith in them, not the Pacers. And the Celtics and the Sixers are the two teams that have, I have confidence in. Of course, the Nets kind of make me a little happy to be <laughs> there, but they're not beating any other team in a playoff oh, series, yeah. even in the East. So the Celtics and the Sixers are probably the two teams I'd look at. I love what the Sixers did with the trade Tobias Harris, and we talked about it at greater detail a week ago when that trade first went down. This Celtics-Sixers matchup, though, is still such a tough one for Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, and it's one that, as a Sixers fan, really scares me. Al Horford continues to get the best of Joel Embiid, and there were some things in that game that, should the Sixers have played probably to their full capabilities, they would have won Tobias Harris's 0 for 6 from 3, which is uncharacteristic. 
Uh, ben Simmons had a couple of turnovers, but it does seem like a team that is susceptible to playing below their talent level in a matchup like that. And the Celtics, on the other hand, they have had problems. They play better without yeah. Kyrie Irving, and it's not because he's not a good player, but these guys, Tatum, the Mor- Morris and yeah. Smart, they pick up their game and they scrap and they foul and hack their way to these wins without Kyrie Irving in a way that they simply don't when he's on the floor. So that, to me, is a very interesting dynamic between the Celtics and Sixers, who, if the season ended today, would be playing a first-round series, which is incredible <laughs> given uh, the depth of this conference now from where it was a couple of years ago. Uh, Bucks and Raptors, too. I, I could see either of those teams winning it all. Um, so that really didn't answer my own question. <laughs> but that's that's where I sit with this. I love, I love the teams. Sixers' talent, but I mean they could lose to any of these teams. And Boston could completely you know, be miserable and self-destruct, or they could be the deepest, most talented team like we thought they were. Um, and then the Raptors have Kawhi Leonard, who I think is the best player maybe in the conference. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then the Bucks have Giannis, and he's the best player in the conference. So if either of those guys get on a run, they could pull this off. I want to take a look at the West here, and because there was just breaking news that Markeith Morris has signed with the Oklahoma City Thunder, that team probably deserves a bit more airtime than oh, we give them. 100%. I mean, Russell Westbrook is still just walking triple double. a walking triple-double. He's officially tied for second. He has the longest streak or the second longest streak of triple-doubles, and given the first one's like 89 games or something. Some, yeah. Russell Westbrook, we are under, do we undervalue the triple-double as the NBA? I think, or do we undervalue Russell Westbrook and just say, I mean, cool, another one? He's not shooting the ball. No, well yeah, at he's all. not. He is. He is horrendous. I'm fine with that, but he's a walking triple double. Yeah. That's supposed to be rare, and he does it every well, day inside. Yeah, but and if out. I mean, if it takes him shooting twenty percent on threes, like then uh, I mean, it, it, it takes away some of the. Uh, yeah, I don't think it should that. be NBA uh, like a, an MVP level. Oh, but yeah. he's averaging a triple double. Paul George is my MVP not- as of today. Yeah. His numbers compared to Harden's look kind of peewee-ish mm-hmm. if you take away the last month of Paul George's play, given that doesn't leave much of the season, but it leaves enough. But he's the best two-way player in the league. It's not LeBron. It's not Kawhi. It's not Giannis. It's Paul George. No. He has the best defensive uh, yeah, defensive. What am I saying? Defensive efficiency rating adjusted to offensive scoring. It's a, it's a cool metric that... Um, I wish I Brian Woodenhorst oh. talked about on air that kind of combines a player's offensive efficiency with his defensive yeah. efficiency. It, it discounts players like Jokic yeah. who are so dominant defensively and are still good offensively, but limits them a little more. And then Chris Paul, a great defensive guard who might not be doing as much scoring. And Paul George is number one on that list. They have two MVPs. They just added Markeith Morris, who's another big body. They have Steven Adams, Adams who playing. for some way somehow gets better. He's not a lead, but he gets better. And their rest of their lineup with Schroeder and all them is great. I'm They're not going to beat the Warriors, that should be said, but I think they're going to be the second best team in the West. Oh, I agree 100%. I think nothing would make me happier if Paul George won MVP. Just for like the story he's been, obviously that perfect USA injury, and then the fact that he, you know, he stayed in the small market in OKC. I just think it's great for him and... I don't know. I have a bad feeling that Harden's going to win. Not a bad feeling that Harden's going to win it because, I mean, he's been playing out of his mind too, but I'd love Paul George to win it. And 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if OKC goes six or seven yeah. with if, Golden if, State. If Harden wins, you're kind of just like, like eh. slow clap. Yeah. yeah, good for James Harden. Well, Harden winning would be the same argument for or similar argument Westbrook. to Westbrook, Westbrook a yes. couple of years ago yeah. where Harden and Kawhi Leonard were on far better teams mm-hmm. with far more efficient numbers on both sides of the ball. But Russell Westbrook had the ones that jumped off the screen, 30 points a game, triple-double on average, but his team only won, what, 45, 46 games that season, and nobody was scared of them. Just some, I don't know, I don't know which no, way yeah. I lean at this point, but just some some food I mean, for thought there. I think Giannis is there too. I think those are the three guys. His body has to catch up. I, I don't know. I'm watching him so. play. I mean, he's what 24 years old. Not something like that's that. a ridiculous physical specimen. <laughs> like we've seen some some Saquon Barkley, yeah, LeBron James, Giannis, Gronk. We've seen pitchers with arms. He's the most bending. athletic NBA player since LeBron. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've since seen young pitchers LeBron. like Chris Sale, yeah. arms bending in ways you'd never expect. Aaron Judge, physical specimen. These are... You can't oh, even Giannis think... Giannis would dunk on Aaron oh, Judge. That these people... Well, I saw a picture. You see the picture of Giannis and one of the best players, Jeff McNeil? No. He's not that tall, really? Aaron Judge. Like, he looks ridiculously tall, or either Jeff McNeil no, like, a Judge giant. Judge is like 6'4", okay, yeah. 6'5". Yeah, or yeah, either Jeff McNeil's a giant. But, like, I saw Aaron Judge, and I was like, wow, maybe he doesn't really look that big. Maybe the uniform and the pinstripes bring out the best in him. But that's a specimen. I hope Giannis can just keep doing this until he's, like, 81 years old. But I think the body's going to catch up to him sooner than Last thing I want to say, do you see that of all the teams that went to go scout Giannis, the Knicks were the only one that didn't? They put out a piece on TNT they're doing that. The Knicks were the only team that Shocker. didn't go see him play in Greece. That 0% <laughs> of my body. But they ended up with Frank Nielakina, though. Yeah, they Great went to France, player. but they couldn't go to Greece. Great player. No, he's Happy not. They got no, him. no, he's not. He's, he's, a, he's not a great player. He's a great player for the purpose that they got him. But relative to Giannis, he's not. Don, on, he could have got Donovan Mitchell. They could have drafted anyway. Dennis Smith, whatever. great player. They Compared have, to what they, they got. Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Knicks are horrible. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We want to preview the American League, but first, a reminder that if you missed any part of our show so far this evening, you can check it out later on this evening on the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast, which is available on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and our website, sites.udl.edu slash thecagewvud. Jake and Nick, what's your favorite part about the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast being available not only everywhere but for free what do you admire most about that well when there's battery in my phone i have a good thing to use it on from 100 percent to zero percent except when i'm sitting in class and right. sitting recording the next episode of blue hen sports cage and a few right. other I mean, sometimes I we try to listen phone. to ourselves as we go along it's it just a little confusing work. yeah uh, but i'm just listening to it always i sometimes memorize what we say and I'm looking to get a tattoo of the entire Blue Hen Sports Cage script once we get one transcribed. But I'll keep you posted on that one. Yeah, I mean, you need something to listen to in the card, plug it right in, put it on whatever you need, whatever music thing you use, and just listen to it. I mean, got a long car ride ahead of you, just plug it in. I think it's great that it's everywhere. That's a much less exciting thing that I said, Nick. Sorry, you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as committed. I'm not a tattoo committed-wise. Well, you I should, better I should. get committed. Yeah, I should. I'm sorry. Yeah, you want to stick around here. Um <laughs> Take take some dedication, Nick. If by next show you don't have or you're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast tattooed to your arm, I I don't know what I'm going to do with you. All right. A lot of times when I'm walking around campus, I do like to think to myself, 
that person that I just passed with their earphones, they're probably listening to Jake and I talk about sports. Maybe if not, we had to run the not numbers, everybody, uh, but percentages. Look at the data going. Yeah, 80, most of the probably? people that I come across on campus are listening to it. Um, during football season, that number was even higher with, with the, the Delaware football roundup that all of us contributed to. That's more. So it was it was a guessing game. Are they listening to Blue and Sports Cage? Are they listening to Delaware football? Who knows? Why not both? Yeah, you can crossfade one in each ear. It'll be harder, but you can do it. Two different phones. Yeah, two, two different phones. phones. Hey, you bring out bring out the uh, the old iPod Touch. Oh, What's the, wait, the wait, phone? Wait, time out here. Two phones or crossfading? What's the difference? Well, I don't, well, how would you crossfade yeah, on think, one device? How do you, you listen to two things really? at the same oh, yeah. time? Wow, this there are apps that can play like eight different things at once, and then one thing would play in one ear and the other would play in the other. Both will actually fly yeah, both saying. ears, but this, the effect <laughs> of right, the yeah, same. Yeah, I guess whatever. Just, just go listen to Blue End Sports Cage podcast. Stop <laughs> this madness. Do it. So, yeah, Stop so this madness. Um, if you need something else to listen to too, if you're tired of us, this weekend we have Delaware basketball action. Friday and Sunday, women's basketball. Uh, Seven o'clock on Friday, two o'clock on Sunday. Full broadcast schedule is up on WVD.org. That's another place that you can find a link to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So there's really no excuse, folks, if you missed any part of our number one. Let's go to baseball. Finally, American League preview. Let's go division by division. I want your thoughts first on the American League East. Take it any direction you want. What sticks out to you guys? That two teams can win. Sorry, Rays. Yeah. I'm not really there with you yet. Um, But the Boston Red Sox and Yankees... I personally think, and I actually saw this as somebody's like hot take. I don't think it's actually that hot. That Boston barely scrapes in as a wild card. Like, I feel Boston's going to have a regression year, and I also feel like the Yankees are finally sick and tired of. Oh, sorry, the Yankees are sick and tired yeah, of winning, winning, so they're going to go win a division. Um, I think the Yankees win the division. I think Boston scrapes by as a second wild card spot, and I probably wouldn't put any other team. 15 games within reach. Yeah, I like what the Yankees did um, in their bullpen, too. I forget who they signed, but didn't they sign? They signed a couple of they guys. They have the that, best bullpen. Yeah, their bullpen is really Probably good. in baseball. Uh, yeah, that's And I think that was probably one of their biggest issues going into this offseason, so they definitely got that addressed. Obviously, you never know what's going to happen with CC Sabathia and the whole starting rotation and whatnot, but I agree with you. I could see the Yankees winning this division and then Boston getting in as that wild card. Watch out for the Rays, but I think they'll fall off towards the end. Fangraphs, Steamer Projections has the Red Sox for 108 wins, the Yankees for 100, the Rays for 90. Wow. I like this division a lot, the Blue Jays and the Orioles uh, toward the basement in the American League East. Let's go to the Central. The book is still out, I guess, so on a team like the White Sox, who maybe would be in consideration for Machado or Harper, but... Uh, the Indians hold on to most of their rotation. That was talked about. Maybe they'd move on from Kluber or Bauer. You got the Indians with the Tigers, Royals, and Twins. What do you make of the Central? Um, I mean, let me ask you a question. Is this the worst division in sports? In sports? Or, uh, well, I'm saying, uh, what do you think? In sports, period, no. The okay. East I... in football is probably, AFC East is probably worse. Fair, fair. Um, I saw something that they also said the uh, division with the Magic, Hornets, Wizards, yeah, Hawks, and that's was up there. Too. I was just asking, though. Is it the worst division? No. Is it bad? Yes. Cleveland wins this, yeah. and probably no one thinks twice. Yeah. 
I don't think, yeah, there's not much to say. I think Cleveland wins it without breaking a sweat. Even if Machado goes yeah. to the White Sox, the White Sox will probably just finish in second rather than fourth. Yeah. What, what do you guys think of the Twins? They were on the fringe of the wild card discussion midway through the season. It took a lot to be a wild card team. You really had to be yeah. of quality of some of the teams that won divisions in the National League. Is there a chance for a team like that to take a, a step or a leap up? Or are they going to be stuck in that? middle to bottom tier in the American League. It falls on the shoulders of Gregor Polanco and the new contract signees because without them, no, I don't think. I mean, they can contend for like middle of the pack. They'll be there. Yeah, they'll be there. I mean, they were a wild card team two years ago, don't forget. So, I mean, you know, like they're kind of there. They're kind of not there, but I I don't really see them probably sneaking in anywhere soon. Fangraph's got the Indians for 92 and nobody even close in the American League Central. Let's go out west. Astros with the Angels, Athletics, Mariners, and Rangers. What do you make of that picture? I don't know. I'm excited to see the Athletics, I think. Uh, you know, they ended the season really hot. Unfortunately, they ran into the Yankees in New York and kind of got blown out. I think that game was like 8-1 or something or whatever, 8-3 maybe. Um, I'm excited to see what a full year of them looks like if they're going to keep on that pace. Obviously, Chris Davis hits homers like it's his job, and I don't know. I feel like the Angels just are never going to be anything. I mean, Mike Trout's there. You're going to pay him whatever you can to keep him there. But I don't think they're going to be anything. And then you have the Astros um, at the top. Mariners have some Mets players, so I don't know what's really going to go on with them. But I think that Mike Trout is currently using like 7% of his brain. And there's going to be one season in the future where Mike Trout's like, I'm done with all of you. And then activates like 20% of his brain. <laughs> and he just doesn't miss a baseball and I don't know if that's going to be this year. I mean, the Angels finished in fourth, but they were an 80-win team. Yeah. They, that's second in the Central. That's a dom- in, in the dominant ALEs with two teams above 100. I mean, you don't see that often. But that's second mm-hmm. in most divisions. Yeah. Third, if you stretch it, they were fourth in this one. I think the Angels are just one piece away. And that's easy to say for baseball, given how many people contribute to each on any given day. If I had to pick a winner... I'd say the Athletics, so I'd pick a loser. It'd be the Mariners for the sake that they have more Mets players than they had last year. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's about that's about it for the West. I think it's a boring division. Yeah. I don't, I don't, there's not much storyline besides, ooh, Chris Davis hit another homer. Yeah. Ooh, Mike Jose Tr- Altuve's still good at baseball. Mike Trout makes a diving catch, yeah. yada, yada, yada. That's all. That's the end of the highlights. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD giving our very early thoughts on the American League. Obviously, a lot of names still out there in free agency. Is there anybody, probably Harper and Machado aside, is there anybody or any moves that any of these teams could still make that would significantly alter what we're looking at in terms of the playoff picture? Baltimore? Okay. I I had my idea in your mind. And then you added playoff picture to the end of yeah. your sentence. <laughs> but then I still said Baltimore because I didn't have an idea of what else to say. Give me so, what you have on Baltimore. I put you on the spot. If there. they can put Adam Jones back where he belongs on this team, and if they sign him back, this team won 47 games last season. I expect them to win at least 60, maybe 65 okay. this upcoming season. Adam Jones will be a big swire. I don't th- see playoff-wise. Because Red Sox and the Yankees, either one of them are going to win the division. In the Central, I don't think any team can win besides the Indians, and the Indians are pretty much done with moves. Yeah, they don't really—they're not really going to spend. They if anything, they were going to move 
right. salary this offseason. And then in the West, Astros Athletics. I mean, the Mariners can be a, a team that can make something happen, but I don't think that the Astros or Athletics are going to lose their spot. Now, if we were doing NL National League preview, there's a bunch of teams, so you'll have to just wait and on stay on the week. edge of your seat until next week for the National League. Yeah, uh, I don't really see Keiko. I think he'd be an addition somewhere. I don't think... I don't honestly don't know where he's going to end up, but um, for the most part, I feel like the AL is set in stone. Let besides you said, besides Machado and Harper, and I think uh, maybe if there's any moves that happen, that might be in the NL. So I'll have to wait and see. When we look at this, and we don't necessarily want to deduce all 15 team season to just whether or not they can make it to the World <laughs> Series, but is it fair to say there's three teams? on paper, maybe four that we would say can make it to the World Series. Is the power that concentrated in the American League that we're looking at the Yankees and Red Sox and then maybe whatever else you think about the Astros and Indians? I think there are five teams in the American League that can make the World Series. In contrast, I think 11 teams, I just counted, I did my research, 11 National League teams can make the World Series. Yeah. I think that the 5 is more normal than the 11. I think the 11 is actually the more shocking number. But I think that with five teams being in the East, the thing is that they're the same five teams. Same five teams as last year, same few yeah. teams as the year before that. Not much has changed. And the National League, obviously, more teams will have the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I think that the AL is definitely more top-heavy and the NL is you know, a lot more where you can have a dark horse team, say, like, you know, the Mets, Phillies, Braves team along those lines to sneak into the World Series. But when you look at the AL, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, and I think that's probably about it. You can stretch a f- – I don't even really know. Oh, you can stretch a fourth of the Indians, I guess, but uh, the AL is definitely more top-heavy than the NL. We're in Sports Cage on WVUD. I'm Brandon Halvek with Jake Lampert and Nick DeLanglio. Last year's American League MVP was Mookie Betts. Mike Trout for yet another season was second. Ramirez from the Indians was in the discussion for a long time. He slipped toward the end of the season. Like with the teams that we're discussing here who have remained the same from a season ago, does that MVP race remain largely the same from as it was a season ago? I'll throw two more names out there just for the sake of throwing names out there. Chris Davis, mm-hmm. if he can continue his hot streak. Chris with a K. Chris with yes. a K. <laughs> Not the old Orioles. Chris Davis, who had a monster season, then got and a contract, a, yeah, and, and a then forgot how to hit. Yeah, that's that's another one that we should right. have brought up earlier in the show as far as why teams might be hesitant to give money to these guys we're talking about this offseason. And another is another Boston Red Sox. It's Chris Sale. I, I, I normally don't love yeah. pitchers I don't think Martinez is going to repeat his no, season as, from a year ago. I don't like pitchers in MVP conversations, but as Jacob deGrom did last year, as Chris Sale did, as Clayton Kershaw and Zach Grinke done years before, they are just going to be dominant enough where you have to include them. I, I have one name in mind, I think, and it, I might be sleeping right now. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No, I, I, okay. I hope he plays this year, though. Hey, rookie yeah, of the year, maybe. Be, yeah. I kind of like Alex Bregman from the Astros. I think that, you know, he's been really good and— but he might be the third. The third. I know. That's right. why. Yeah. Because obviously Altuve's there. The dark and, horse. Is yeah. Dark horse. Yeah. Discount. I think obviously you're going to get your same bets, your trout, whatever. But I think that Bregman has a shot. I think if he has a really solid year and can kind of emerge as that great player on that team with so many great players already on it, I just watch out for Bregman as a dark horse. I like 
I like putting him into that conversation. I'm trying to pull up real quick just to give some context to that, the steamer projections. There we go. Um, so last year, I mean, Betts and Trout were just historically great. Both guys wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, above 10. This is taking a while for me. School Wi-Fi is killing us again. It's, yeah, that it's, is very true. It's killing me. Um, so let's steamer projections, the same system we referenced with the um, the team standings a moment ago. Trout at eight and a half wins above replacement, which sounds like it's a lot, but that's actually down from his last two seasons. Betts at 7.2. Francisco Lindor, we didn't mention him, yeah. at 6.5. And then Jose Ramirez and Alex Bregman at 4 and 5 at 6.0 and 5.4. I like Lindor. I was thinking about saying him as well. I think he could definitely could be uh, in that conversation. I, w- I, w- I just looked up the wins above replacement last year. I was surprised that there were three pitchers in the top five for wins above replacement. Is that in the AL or in overall? In baseball. Yeah, DeGrom, is DeGrom in there? DeGrom, Scherzer. Nola, yeah. DeGrom, Scherzer, Scherzer, all yeah. three in the National League okay, East yeah. with Betts and Trout. Yeah. I, I would assume if you took the top 20, pitcher dominant. Because yeah. pitchers obviously have more effect in the game than one individual player of but the eight five. in the outfield. But top five, I would expect these stars. I, I Bets at one, Trout at two. I, what's, what's Trout's all, oh, here's all-time players wins of replacement? Are you, are you fan graphs or baseball reference? Because they're a little bit different. currently ESPNing it, which I believe ESPN uses baseball, baseball reference. Baseball reference, yeah. Uh, Mike Trout is not in the top fifty, which sounds weird. I feel. What like are you I'm looking just, for? I f- wins above replacement of all, all time. time. All time. Like who's... I feel like Mike Trout is required to be here. <laughs> I I mean I'm on fan graphs. I'll pull this up real quick. Bear with us, folks. Uh, all right. Oh, here he is. Mike Trout is tied for twenty fifth. Okay. Which still seems a little. Who's weird. number one? Oh, these are these are by individual seasons. This is not cumulative. Oh, okay. That's why. So it's like the best whoever had the best season all time, of all time. All time. That's why. Okay. That makes, oh. that makes a lot more sense to me. Okay. Cool. That that solves our problem, <laughs> or at least my problem. Are you looking up? Yeah. Baseball. I'm still in search. You talk still... amongst yourselves, as they'd say. So Nick, how was your day? It was not bad. You know, got out of class early. I guess while Brandon's talking, we can talk about. I'm just gonna pull up a random name. Uh, Christian Yelich. I was that's perfect actually because I was gonna say I love the Brewers this year. I think that, I don't really, but yeah, because I think as much like the Minnesota Vikings in football, okay, honeymoons end eventually, and it was a great run. As for riveting them. as that is, I'm gonna interrupt you guys. Oh, so um, Mike Trout, all time according to Fangraphs, wins above replacement for for just um, kicks here. He's not yet 30, 89th okay. all time with 64.7 wins above replacement. He is one spot. Behind Tony Gwen, senior, two spots behind Hall of Fame inductee Edgar Martinez, and he is still young. Oh, yeah, and he'll keep going. <laughs> he he'll keep racking them still up. Still going to keep going. Okay, that that was a good. All right, we'll break on that. There. National League preview to come next week. Hold on for seven days for that, and then we will hopefully, at some point in time, maybe before the season begins, be able to discuss Bryce Harper and Manny Machado once more.